Welcome back to Bit Different, everybody. This is Satine. And this is Rob. Hello. Hello. And uh, yeah, welcome to like, you know, uh, Halloween is, has passed, but now it's truly the scariest week because it's election week. It is election <laughs> week and I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know it's not scary? What? We have a special guest. We do? <laughs> Who is that? His name is Patrick Hickey Jr. And he is the author of The Minds Behind the Games. He's a voice actor and the assistant director of journalism program at Kingsborough Community College in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, Welcome Patrick. Welcome, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, big fan of your show and uh, didn't think I'd ever be on it. So it's kind of cool that I am. So. Super happy. Well, we are the ones who are blessed. Yeah, thank you for <laughs> thank uh, you. for making the time. Yeah, yeah no problem. absolutely. Anytime. And we can't wait to talk about your book because it's quite magical. Thank you. Oh, and for all the listeners at home, if uh, there's any audio weirdness, it's because um, this is a bi-coastal podcast today. Uh, Patrick is in New York, uh, you know, where he works. So, um, yeah, we're going to see how this goes. I have faith in us. Welcome to the podcast and the nonsense. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So, the podcast of nonsense. Oh, wait. <laughs> Seriously. This is the ne- Necronomicon of nonsense right here. <laughs> so what did you do for Halloween, Patrick? Um, my daughter was a penguin. So uh, I was a Mexican wrestler. Um, so I had nice. I was, I was two Mexican wrestlers. First I was uh, La Parca and then I was uh, Psychosis and... Uh, my family, we we have a big like three family house, so we decorate the entire house, and we uh we were scaring little kids and giving them candy at the same time for about five hours, and then we ordered some pizza, and then we all went to bed exhausted. So it was a good day. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like a good Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> I had a party, and it was fun, but it was kind of a hot mess. <laughs> oh come on! It was a good time. How was it a hot mess? Well, because have you ever seen the movie Two Hundred Cigarettes? Oh, God, not since it, like, came out. Okay, well, the movie is basically about this girl, Martha Plimpton, who is throwing a New Year's Eve bash. And hours before New Year's Eve, she's like, nobody's going to show up. Nobody's going to show up. It's a failure. I'm a failure. And then she drinks herself until she passes out. And then the party happens while she's passed out. And it's, like, the most epic New York party ever. (laughs) And I was like, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to have the best Halloween party ever, and I'm going to be passed out because nobody's coming. <laughs> and it was amazing, though. <laughs> yeah, Todd, Todd and I were there for a little bit. Um, I had a little bit of a rough week because we had a family emergency happen, but uh, it looks like that's all gone away. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, because of that, uh, though, I came and I was just like, good to see everybody. Hello. Hug, hug, hug. One beer. We have to leave. Uh, and so Todd and I went home, and we actually watched. It was kind of funny. We watched Halloween H2O. Okay, yeah. Which it's funny because that movie is now 20 years old. So we oh watched H20 20 years later. Yep. Oh my God. And let me tell you, that movie is actually better than I remember it being. It's still not good, but it's significantly better than I remember it being when it was in theaters when I hated it. Uh huh. I don't even remember it. That's how bad it was. Well, the nice thing is, it it's it's the first one to like have that sort of dimension production sheen on it because two scream movies had already happened at this point, and they were like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we can actually do a horror movie like with a little bit of budget and a little bit of something behind it. Didn't also Chainsaw Massacre happen around then? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was I think in two thousand and two. Oh, you're or right. Three. Yeah, you're right. Um, cool. But yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, that was my Halloween. Yeah, and I dressed up as Wonder Woman 1984. 
because last year was Wonder Woman, and I didn't want to repeat myself. Yeah, and I was a splicer <laughs> at that one Halloween party, but uh, for your party, I just showed up as someone who had a bit of a week. Yeah, <laughs> was... which is fine. Which is fine. Oh, and I also saw Bohemian Rhapsody. How was that? I really liked it. It's um, It's kind of like a very PG version of Freddie Mercury's actual life, but... You know, it celebrated the man, and it was really good, and the music's really what matters anyway to me, and I felt like it really made that the focus rather than his lewd behavior, so I thought it was good, Nice, despite what a lot of the critics say. I also saw a movie this week. What did you see? I saw the 2018 Suspiria. Oh, Yeah. I loved it. It okay. is going to be super polarizing. Some people are going to love it or hate it. Um, yeah, I thought it was actually really something special. Um, it's it is long and a little drawn out, and they try to bring in this like nonfiction historical subplot into it that just feels a little bit like a stretch. The movie is a full hour longer than the original. Wow. Um, but like the crazy thing is though, it does so much, so many different new things with it, and like the original is so novel, and like the, all they really share are a few character names, a setting and like light themes but the movies are very different and so um i think once a lot of people can get over the baggage that it isn't the 1977 movie they'll actually find something that's really cool in that um even though it is a little bloated but like i loved it i can't get out of my head actually i'm really excited about seeing it again do you watch horror movies patrick oh yeah i love horror movies Uh, what's what's your favorite oh um wow that's such a difficult question to ask. Um, I like a lot of the older ones. Um, I'm a big fan of like Vincent Price, so like oh. uh, Last Man on Earth, things like that, like stuff in the the Twilight Zone kind of feel. Love the, like the thinking horror movies. That those are kind wasn't of wasn't he I... in? Wasn't he in the original Haunting of Hill House or House yeah. of Haunted Hill? Yes, House of Haunted Hill. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just right. with his voice and his mannerisms, like that unbridled charisma. Like I really dig it. So. So, yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Let's dive into your book because sure. it's very interesting. And so the book is called The Minds Behind the Games and Interviews with Cult and Classic Video Game Developers. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, well, you want to tell us a little bit about it? Well, you, you said it perfectly, like the basically, because this is the thing. It's like, you know, video games can kind of become a highfalutin topic if you're like talking about it with the wrong person. Like I, I just came back from kind of like a double date with uh, my wife and another married couple. And we were talking about video games and I just saw the look on my wife's face. And she was just like, it wasn't mortified, but she was just kind of like, oh, my God, you guys are so freaking geeky you know and uh, nerds yes yes and it's like i wanted to write a video game book in a way that not only catered to those hardcore nerds but then also introduced other people to the art form that is video games so it's 36 chapters each chapter focuses on like the personal story of the developer that actually created or played a tremendous part in the creation process and they're all powered by new original interviews and reporting done by myself so it's the kind of book that, like, you don't have to read from start to finish. You can just pick a chapter and jump into it whenever you want. Um, really easy to read. Like, I'm a college professor, but I write like a journalist. I write in a way where, like, everyone can understand. And it's just a kind of way to, like, celebrate the video game industry, but then also kind of get more connected to it when you weren't otherwise. 
Well, and I was actually curious um, with all the the interviews. Like, um, was there any particular medium in which people like doing it? Was it typically <laughs> Skype or phone or email? Like, was it a thing where you actually got to sort of like midway through the chapter, sort of realize like, oh, I want to ask him another thing. Like, were you able to go back to the well? Oh at yeah, all? oh yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I I I've done interviews for this through email, Skype, uh, phone, in person, like all sorts of every single like social media you know outlet i've used to like get in information for these interviews and I i've kept in contact with all of all of these developers so there was always like there there was plenty of times during the interview process when i was writing where i said hmm i wonder about this or i wonder about that and they these guys always gave me the access that i needed to get back in contact with them it was never like a one and done kind of thing which i think really makes each chapter stand tall on its own nice that's so cool um any particular game that stood out where you're like, this is a very interesting story and I can't wait to tell the world about it? Well, see, that's the thing, too. Like, um, I remember when I was getting ready to write the the book, I was sitting in my man cave and I've got like, you know, like 3000 games and I'm just sitting in there and I'm just like, I want to write this book and I want to interview these guys. And I just these were all the games that I grew up playing. So I felt like each chapter had a special place like in my heart but to be totally honest like um brian fargo he's the uh director of in exile entertainment and he's like the, the guy that helped create the fallout series and um uh, he facebook messaged me like on christmas eve and said oh i just got your message um i would love to interview i would love for you to interview me and that was like that was like the best christmas present that year just to know that like the wasteland and like fallout the beginning of the fallout series would be in you know my first book so that's awesome yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> um, but it's just like talk, talking to all of these guys. It's just, you know, to to me and to, to millions of other people, they're like musicians. You know, you, you were just talking about how Freddie Mercury was so freaking awesome. And for me, it's like, yeah, I love Freddie Mercury, too. I love Queen. They're a freaking amazing band. But, you know, I spent just as much time as a kid playing video games with Queen on in the background. You know, so it's like if I could find a way to connect with those developers, that would be just as cool for me. So writing this book was kind of like a way of me having a conversation with the, you know, 12, 13 year old version of myself saying like, look what you're doing. Well, it, it's funny actually, cause even, um, you know, uh, when, um, when looking through your book, actually I skipped directly to a chapter where I wanted to hear from that developer, mm -hmm. uh, just based on who it was. And I was like, okay, well, that's my first chapter I'm going to go to, what chapter um, was which it? was, that was uh, Jane Jensen for, uh, Gabriel Knight one. Oh, such a good game. Yeah, and I I loved um like I liked the game. I prefer the Beast Within to mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. but um, mostly I think just because I wasn't really used to um adventure titles having a truly like time based sort of thing like sure. where you could actually die if you don't click at the right thing on time. Yeah. Um, yeah. just because I was used to more LucasArts games at the time, mm -hmm. but um, I absolutely adored her novelizations of both of those games. I just have to say for the record, like anyone that openly like publicly admits that they love the gabriel knight series is like amazing to me because it's like well, it's, it's so good yeah it's so good but like there's i know so many people that 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 grew up on point and click games and it's like it's not the sexiest genre so people don't like to admit that they play them you know and it's mm -hmm. just like i love when people go yeah man like maniac mansion lucas art sierra all of these games you know oh yeah there are two things that like i feel shape my sense of humor more than mm -hmm. anything else and that is the simpsons and day of the tentacle, day of the yes, tentacle. yes yes oh you're awesome. and so 
Yeah, so because like I I still quote all the time. Uh, you know what they say: if you want to save the world, you got to push a few old ladies down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's um, absolutely true too. So, but it bums me out actually that um, Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the Damned, when it came out, my computer couldn't really run it, and yeah. now even through Steam, um, it only works on like Windows eight, I think, or like mm. uh. Windows XP, it doesn't work on Windows 10 yet. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, I'm bummed out because I actually feel like I have a computer that can finally run it, and uh, I technically, I really actually don't. See, so. that's that's one of the things that Rob Fulop, the uh, programmer from Night Trap, said in our chapter. He said, you know, the thing that sucks about the video game industry is it's constantly obsoleting itself. It's like, I love, like, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I It's, like, one of my favorite movies ever. It's been redone a bunch of times, and they've improved, like, you know, the visuals and stuff. But I can still watch it on VHS if I wanted to. I can still watch it in its original form on DVD. The same thing with, like, The Wizard of Oz, you know? But, like, these games continue to change so many ways, and there's DLC, and there's updates. So you kind of, like, lose that original experience that affected you so much. That's why I felt like it was so important to speak to these developers and have them talk about how these games affected not only them, but, like you know, millions of other people because at one point or another we're gonna lose this history or these games aren't gonna be able to be played at all. So Yeah, well it's funny actually I remember like yeah, while reading the Night Trap chapter, uh, the fact that that guy created cats and dogs. Like mm-hmm, I remember having right? cats on my my Windows PC. We had it too. Yes. Yeah, and having them like climb and play on the various windows and stuff. Like mm-hmm. it was very cute. Like remember, like also when After Dark was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It was all about, oh, what is your what, what is your screensaver? You know, flying, what was flying it? toasters. Flying toaster, yeah. Yeah. Well, then they made the totally tasteless uh, After Dark uh, that was like really goofy with like bungee jumping fish mm-hmm. and stuff. So funny. But anyway. But uh, yeah, from the um, I was going to say from that same chapter yeah i remember uh rob was saying he can't even show his own kids his games because nothing plays them anymore yeah it's wild yeah and that that's quite sad except they did re-release night trap now so now they can play night yeah. trap all they want the thing oh, is, and actually mm-hmm. oh go, go ahead. ahead no go ahead well the thing is too it's like uh night trap has had to be completely redone to play on like the ps4 xbox one and the switch like it's it's the same game but it was read it was recoded like from scratch by an entirely different team so it's it's the same exact game but it's not so it's like your mom can make scrambled eggs and you can make scrambled eggs and it'll taste like scrambled eggs but two different people made it you know so it's 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 a little bit different but the backbone of those scrambled eggs are still there (laughs) yes 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 (laughs) Um, well, it's funny, actually, uh, on the, the thing of, um, just on the subject of, like, being able to play more of old stuff, mm-hmm. uh, there's actually a thing that I saw, and I'm trying to find it on my, my phone while, while everyone was talking, and I can't find it, but, um, so, um, Limited Run Games, that does a lot of, you know, the super, uh, limited run yeah. stuff of, like, physical, uh, copies of a lot of di- otherwise digital-only games, they actually just uh, sent out in an email blast a little bit ago, which I can't find it and I need to. Um, they're actually selling a cable that will plug into the back of your PS2 and have it to be an HDMI out. Oh, that's awesome. So, like, and so, like, you can use your, your actual PS2 just on current TVs and stuff without having to worry about getting the composite out and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So, I mean, obviously, I don't think it's going to change anything graphically except it'll just be the cleanest output it could yeah. be. So, um, anyway, it's why I actually want to find that because I want to pull out my PS2 and uh, play some old stuff. But sure. just thought that that was a thing that people might want to know about. Absolutely. Yeah. 
That sounds really cool. <laughs> I'll do it. Even though I, I don't hardly ever play games from, like, even my PS3. I feel like, eh, they're old now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. It's, like, it's so funny how, how fickle we are as, as players. It's, like, I, I tell my students all the time, I'm like, what, what what are you guys doing with your, you know, NBA 2K18? And they're like, oh, we traded it in already. And I'm like, but, like, 300 people busted their butt for eight months to work on that game. And you played it for hundreds of hours. And now you just traded it in for, like, three bucks. You know, it's like, we're so fickle. Such is the American way. Yes, yes. But <laughs> yeah. it's just like, it's it's gamers, too. And it's just like, it's so funny. It's like, if I if I ask you guys, like, who your, who sings your favorite song? You, you would be able to answer in like a second, you know, if I said, who was your favorite actor, you'd be able to answer in a second, your favorite author in a second. But if I said, like, who developed like your favorite game, the average person would not be able to answer that question. You know, like they'll, they'll say like, oh, Grand Theft Auto, um, Rockstar. And it's like, no, they published it. Who was the guy that came up with the idea? <laughs> and yeah, they that's would, true. That's it. It's the whole reason why I wrote the book. Same same is true for films. People don't know, like, they know who the director is, but who's the DP? Like, who yes. is the vision behind the way yes. everything is so beautifully, like, orchestrated? Yeah, it's and, funny because mm. I always talk about, uh, you know, Rosemary's Baby being, like, a master class in, in framing. I mm-hmm. don't know who the DP is in that movie or the cinematographer. I have no idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. But there are so many people involved in all of these productions. Like, it'd be impossible to remember who everybody is. But, um, so... Tell us about um, well, what what got you interested in Night Trap? Like, what's your relationship to the game, and like, yeah. or just you know, or did sure. you just know it was a such a troubled production that it just had to be you know covered? It's like uh, I've always had this relationship in a way with with Night Trap in the fact that like um, I remember when I was a little kid, there was a video game store like around the corner from my house, and uh, just seeing the cover, like the good looking woman, you know with her pectoral muscles popping out and the vampires in the background, <laughs> oh, right, yes. you know, and I'm just like, this is a game. This is like really cool, you know? And then I saw, you know, game pro and all the magazines kind of like lambasted it. And then it was in the news and the news was like, don't play it. You know, it's not good for kids and blah, blah, blah. And then the internet just kind of like had its fun with it. And I remember preparing to write this book. I started just looking through old instruction manuals for, her games and looking through credits and doing research and stuff and i'm just like the same guy that programmed missile command on the atari 2600 one of like the greatest games on that system is also the guy that you know played a huge role in night trap i'm like that's a story how do you do one thing and then do the other and then i found out he did dogs and cats so then i'm like wow this guy has had a wild career you know (laughs) so so then yeah what happened was i reached out to uh david crane first and david crane is the creator of pitfall um but he also did boy and his blob he's done a lot of great games and uh he also played a role in night trap so i wanted to talk to him about night trap and he was like well i think you should talk to rob first and if rob gives the okay then i'll add in you know like whatever else you need me to you know to finish off the chapter so i contacted rob and he got back to me a couple of weeks later and then we just started and from there on, I got introduced to James Riley. So, I mean, that, that chapter has a lot of great sources in it. And just my connection, Night Trap epitomizes, like, every single chapter in this book and, like, the whole main message of the book. Because when you hear the word Night Trap, you think of a really bad game. 
and, <laughs> and you don't think of like the effect that it had on the industry. You don't think of like the backstory, the people that were involved. And truth be told, like Night Trap was supposed to come out in like 1986 instead of, you know, 1992, 1993. And if it came out in 1986, it would have been like revolutionary because a game like Dragon's Lair does exactly the same thing as Night Trap, but it does it with animation and Dragon's Lair is beloved, you know? Yeah. So imagine being able to control a B horror movie with some good-looking women during the height of the B movie slasher, you know, scene. It would have it would have changed things dramatically, but obviously money and politics played a role, so it's just like the the story that's told in Night Trap is kind of like an important one because it gets us to look past what Wikipedia and like the angry Nintendo nerd tell us about video games. It gets us to look closer at these people and how their lives were affected by their creations. It is funny that that game's because of the five year, you know, lag yeah. between when it was filmed and released. It sure. came out and felt dated, like from the beginning. Yeah. It was, yep. yeah, just unfortunate uh, that that's, it was born to be dated. They also wanted that like B horror movie look to it in the first place, but it is funny how it, even then it still looks like <laughs> like sure. a hot mess. But it's still fun. Yeah, we had a good time. We, um, Rob and I, I don't know if you um listened to the podcast where we talked about playing Night Trap and we um streamed it and that was really fun. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, and I actually watched the it's behind like... the scenes thing about it as well because I thought it was really interesting that it was like on the disc. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because the game was pulled off the shelves. And um, Lieberman, who was, what, Congress at the time, mm -hmm. um, is the one who was heading that, you know, the whole witch hunt for um, taking the game off the shelves. And I thought it was really funny. What you said is, how did he get his hands on a video <laughs> game? He doesn't know the difference between Goombas and Lemmings. And yeah. I was like, that's so funny. <laughs> No, because it's just like I, I remember doing the research for that chapter and I watched literally like hours of all of that testimony and stuff. And it's just like I'm sitting in my office at work and it's like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning and I don't have to teach until like 10. And I'm just trying to like get as much of like this as possible so I can write the chapter. And I'm just like, how the hell is this guy talking about video games? It's like a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, Trump was talking about the violence in video games. And I'm just like, you've never played a video game in your life. Like, well, and that, that montage they got of the violence was so funny. It, they yes. left out, like, some of the biggest franchises in the world and went for, like, some weird, obscure shit mm -hmm. where I was just like, wow, like, you dug deeper than I ever thought anyone would when, like, just, like, you know, of the top ten games right now, there's all stuff that's way worse. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, like, it's so funny now, too, because, like, our kids and, like, my nephews, one is ten and the other one's sixteen, they're so desensitized to everything that it's like they play Call of Duty and they shoot somebody in the head, and they're just like, yeah, man, headshot. And I'm like, I grew up playing Mortal Kombat, and like some of those fatalities like bugged me out for days. And you, you're just like, you're like, yeah, whatever, shot him in the head, you know? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's it. Mortal Kombat was nuts to me when it came out. I was like, oh my god, there's people dying on the screen. What's yeah, going man. on? Why is there so much blood? Well, yeah, Mortal Kombat 2, the first time I saw Katana's fan blades and how oh. much they just covered the stage, I was like, yep. oh my god. That was pretty yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Now it's just yeah, a drop in the bucket. Yeah, now mm -hmm. it's like, whatever. Yeah, now cartoons have more gore than that. <laughs> it's just like, to some yeah. of the comments during all that Senate, that Senate, you know, Congre congressional hearings that was like, if you're, if you're a 
a bad parent then you buy your kids night trap it's just like wow man the propaganda flying here is ridiculous and it's like doom mortal kombat lethal enforcers they kind of made it out okay but it's just for some reason night trap got it the worst and you know rob's girlfriend left him and it was just terrible terrible like and yet how- it's so crazy that that games like leisure i mean like i like the, the leisure suit larry's but it's also yeah it's amazing that games that were actually like you know their actual goal was to go get laid like it's funny i'm not saying that like i i'm i'm glad that they didn't turn on to that just because i'm i like that game series and i'm glad it got to continue but yeah it's amazing that like night trap which is so pg-13 mm-hmm. just became this weird like whipping boy for the the entire industry when there were games that were pushing the envelope much much harder oh sure i mean it's like yeah. maniac mansion like putting you know uh, the, hamster the hamster in the, in the microwave, microwave. <laughs> my god i forgot about that yeah. oh my god That's it's so still like sad. one of my favorite scenes have you guys played thimbleweed park at all uh, it's funny. I actually kickstarted it, and I have yet to play it. But like, I bought the soundtrack from I'm Eight Bit. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't I'm Eight Bit. I think that was uh, someone else that did that one. Wanda? No, I think that one was like Black Screen Records. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's uh, but yeah, I, I've I've given Thimbleweed Park a ton of money because I think I got it on both PC for the Kickstarter, and then I bought it again on the Switch because I was mm-hmm. like, I'm never gonna play this on a computer. Yeah, it's so. But good. Uh, have haven't done it yet. But there's a scene where um. You have a hamster, and if you try and put it in the microwave, they go like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" You know, like, why yeah. would you? Why would you try and do that? <laughs> you gotta have a and good little just, throwback to the funny. original. Yeah, yeah, but again, man, I mean, it's just it's crazy how, whenever there's something, you know, that's going on, video games are to blame, and you know, we we think of the creators of video games as being like these super nerds and this and that, but they're they come from all different walks of life. It's like Jane Jensen is just a brilliant like writer she just brought something that was lacking in video games like full front to the scene she's just an excellent like writer she just understands dialogue and narrative and stuff and then i mean you have howard scott warshaw who did et who's just like super charismatic and super intelligent and michael menheim basically did everything by himself it's like they're all all these people are super super unique and they, they don't they don't represent that stereotype of what a video game creator is supposed to be. So you also um, wrote a chapter about the NHLPA 93 game, the hockey mm-hmm. league game. And it had a pretty interesting backstory. Do you want to talk about like the, the problems they had with that game and what happened with like the players and actually putting licensed people into the game? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, this was the first. This was the first hockey game that actually had like real players in it. You know, before it was, you know, oh, we got number ninety nine on the Los Angeles Kings, and everybody knows who that is, but they didn't say who it was. So in NHLPA ninety three, you actually have the players in the game, and they're rated. So, I mean, it just it it made the game feel so much more real and at home. But at the same time, too, the producers had to answer to players who had. <laughs> who had really crappy ratings and um i'm not sure if you guys watch hockey but usually like the players that aren't like the most skilled are usually the biggest and the strongest so uh it just opened the floodgates for uh poor michael brook the producer of nhlpa 93 to be put in an extremely uh weird situation with ken Baumgartner. the thing that i want to talk about the most is that like there, there's a lot of like first-time authors that are scared to really interact with their fan base and interact with with people that want to read their books and like i i really love interacting 
with people. So, I mean, I have this thing on my site, patrickhickeyjr.com, where when people order my book off of my site, I get, you know, I obviously get their address because I have to ship them their book. So, uh, I like to email them after they, after they, you know, make payment and I start a conversation with them. Like, Oh, where are you from? Like, what are you into? Well, like in terms of like pop culture and stuff. And you, you guys are going to laugh, but I like to sneak things like into their book. I had somebody that, um, bought the book from Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. So I threw in some Philadelphia Phillies, like baseball cards and stuff like that. I had another person from California from, uh, from San Jose. So I threw in some San Jose sharks, uh, hockey cards in there and stuff like that. So it's like, um, I want to really try and establish the fact that I'm a living, breathing person writing about something that they love and that, like, each person that buys the book really matters to me. Nice. Yeah, you, like, it gives it a personal touch, too, which is always nice. Yeah. Just a rando game-related thing. I'm just curious, yeah. just as somebody who it sounds like you have, a, you have, like, a man cave with a big sort of game collection, <laughs> yeah. what's your favorite controller of all time? Oh, that's a super tough question. Um, I would probably say the original PlayStation controller. Um, I just feel like um, it just fits in your hand perfectly. I'm a big fan of like the Sega Genesis controller um, and the the dog bone version of the original NES controller. But there was just something about that original PlayStation controller. It just it fit better in your hands than any other controller up until that point. Well, too, you know what it is too. It's like I'm six foot four. Um, I could like, I can palm an NBA basketball. So I have like monster hands and I just feel like my hands fit around like those little like cuffs on the PS uh, one controller, like super well. I don't know. I feel like the, yeah. the Xbox Duke controller was made with people in you, with people like you in yes. mind. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. You're absolutely right. That, that version of that controller is super comfortable too. Like the Xbox 360 controller is pretty comfortable too. I would put that up there. As like a close yeah, I think the 360 is a it's a really solid one. It's it yes. feels like just like the golden retriever of of uh, of controllers. But yeah, like this way because the Duke to me feels like holding a giant sandwich. <laughs> oh, so yeah, yeah. what um what game started it all for you? Like what was the game that like started your love for video games? Well, see the thing is like growing up as a kid, I uh I love sports. I I um. I'm very good at like memorizing sports statistics and stuff like that. My dad used to joke around and like uh, ask me like what a player's batting average was when I was like three or four and I would be able to remember. Um, so like playing sports video games was kind of like the way I started into gaming. So like the original RBI baseball on the uh, Nintendo was like kind of like my first love. And then um, ice hockey on the Nintendo I really loved. But then I remember my dad came home with uh, Contra on the NES, and uh, we would just play that for hours on end. And then Super Contra came out, and then from from there it was you know Mario and Sonic and Ducktales and Dragon Warrior and Wonder Boy and Monster Land. So it was just like I just completely jumped in. My cousins had a Sega Master System, so like I would go there and and I got exposed to a completely different type of. Uh, gaming experience so i basically haven't gotten rid of a video game that i've bought since since i've since i'm yeah, a kid i've uh, i've hung on to all my stuff as well well i guess it's that time we're going to sort of wrap up that part of the interview but first we got to do the important section uh we gotta do the crush crush of the week crush patrick who are you crushing on everybody wants to know oh my god so I, i'm <laughs> do gonna... it <laughs> Say it. Um, 
ironically i'm i'm really crushing on tom hardy it's pretty funny that venom movie is so much better than i ever thought that it was going to be um really it's, approved it's not it's not what i originally expected but it's a lot of fun and uh he's this tiny dude and eddie brock is supposed to be like you know six foot five you know 300 pounds and stuff but he pulls it off you know and it's just like uh I didn't think that Bane would be a good Venom, but he totally was. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like the opposite problem they have with Wolverine, where like, yeah, he's supposed to be like five two, and they have Hugh Jackman yes. playing him. So funny. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, Ed Hardy's a charismatic dude. Super charismatic. Yeah, yeah. he could turn shit into gold any day. <laughs> Absolutely, he could sell a lady in a white dress a ketchup popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> My crush of the week is Ash <laughs> from Overwatch. He's a brand new character. And she has like this rock and roll cowgirl kind of like vibe to her. She's got red lips. She's super hot. She looks like she's like the mayor of an old Western town, but you know, like a hot, sexy version, (laughs) which is always what I go for. She has like platinum blonde hair with an asymmetrical cut. She's kind of hot. How about you, Rob? Uh, well, mine is actually related to yours. Mine is Bob, her uh, robot henchman that uh, <laughs> she can call in as her ultimate. Um, I'm not into the Western kind of thing, but he's got a really great sort of metal ridge that makes a pseudo mustache into chops. And it's just so damn cute. Yeah. Bob is cute. Yeah. And it rhymes with Rob, so. No, and I've, I've made the mistake of dating somebody with the same name as me. It ain't good. No? No, it's bad. Oh, well, don't worry, because that's Bob. I know. But unfortunately, <laughs> Bob's my dad's name, which is kind of weird. Uh, but weird. like, But still, that Bob the Robot is quite appealing. Do you know what Bob stands for? No idea. Oh I don't God. know either. Oh Should we make it up? I'm sure it'll get announced <laughs> like, at some point. Bombastic... <laughs> Overhaul Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Patrick, for for joining us. You are awesome. And the book is so good. And um, it's on. How how can people get. how can they buy it? How can they contact you? Go for it. All right. So, Tell us all about so it. currently the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Target, Walmart, Books a Million, and wherever fine books are sold, you can order it. You can also order it directly from me at patrickhickeyjr.com. Um, I will autograph it. I will personalize it for you. It makes a great gift for Christmas. Like I said, um, it's written in a way where anyone can kind of appreciate it and get in, get interested in the video game industry or reconnect with games that you played as a kid or that you always wanted to play but you didn't know anything about. So, like I said, Barnes and Noble, Target, Amazon, Walmart, everywhere. And there's yeah, and there's like just a ton of variety in the titles that are covered in the book. So there's kind of something for everybody, sure. um, which is great. And uh, where can people find you online? Like, uh, what's your your Twitter? So my Twitter is uh, ReviewFix, which is also the uh, name of the website that I own and uh, manage ReviewFix.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Patrick Hickey Jr. and Facebook. I mean, like I said, I have no problem with people connecting with me on Facebook to talk about um, the book or to talk about, you know, art and culture and stuff like that. Also, another thing that I wanted to say really quick is that I'm already uh, 18 chapters deep into a sequel for the Minds Behind the Games, and I have over over 43 games um, 
confirmed for the second book. So um, bigger, better, more pictures. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, Patrick. No you problem. You are amazing. Thank you very much. You guys rock, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Have a good one. You, too. We're back to just uh, me and Satine for the rest of this. Yeah. What are you playing, Rob? So um, right before Halloween, I fired up Castlevania Requiem. I cannot wait to play that. And so I got to play a little bit of Rondo of Blood, which was interesting because I wasn't familiar with it. Um, which, as I wrote it on my little agenda, I realized abbreviated spells Rob, which is kind of fun. Kind of cute. Kind of cute. Um, but I started playing Symphony of the Night, and it's funny. I always forget. I've actually started that game a bunch of times. And so, like, I've fought Dracula, and then I've showed up as um, Alucard. And at the beginning, I'm always like, dude, Alucard's so badass. This game's going to be so easy. Like, whatever. And I always forget that he has all of his stuff taken away from him. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is hard. And then De- Death takes all his powers away. Yeah, and the fact that, like, when you hit, like, the wall sconces, they don't drop anything anymore until you get the cube of zoe i was like god damn it like i forgot how like that happens and then i was just exploring found my way to the first like double boss which is like the guy with the spear and the flying thing that keeps dropping him and who actually is in um season two season two ah! yeah well and i was doing good for a minute until a bunch of fireballs came and like each fireball took off like a third of my health and i was like and now i'm dead and i think because i decided to stop uh, I think that's where I almost always stop. I think that's why I've never actually played through the game any further. So, but like, I just wanted to see it mostly. Once you um, start accumulating different strengths, it's really fun. Like you get a familiar, mm. and you there's different familiars. So each one does something different. Um, there's different weapons. You could choose like different capes, which have different um, properties. There's a rainbow cape. Well, Alfredo was telling me about like a game breaking uh, sort of exploit he found where there's an item where if your luck is high enough, it will um, potentially negate all damage that you get in a single hit. By like, there's this little like, sort of spirit version of you that flies out and takes all the mm, damage. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so he said he built a character that was like all luck up kind of stuff and then he got that item and he's like in the game just kind of broken at that point oh so you just can't die yeah pretty much like i'm really curious about it i was like that sounds fun um but anyway yeah i started playing that i'd like to get back into it um i've been doing a lot more assassin's creed odyssey which i'm still very much enjoying and uh a little bit more red dead i'm still enjoying it so far even though it's not my genre but i am enjoying it um and then lastly Yesterday, I actually played through the first three bosses of Dark Souls on the Switch. Woo! Is it exactly the same as you remembered it? Uh, it's at 30 frames a second now, so no. <laughs> it's uh, so much better. It's handheld, which is neat. I'm doing it as a sorcery build. I've never been a magic wielder. That's right. So um, it's different. It's very different, actually, how the how it works. Are you enjoying it, or do you prefer to be a warrior? Uh, well, like, the thing is, I realize right now, at least, I don't have enough spells to be full-time sorcerer all the time, so I still have to wield, like, a dagger. And I have to say, the hand-to-hand stuff kind of sucks. It's awful. Yeah. But right now, my my character's intelligence is so high that uh, his spells are pretty rocking when they work, which is pretty cool. I just have a hard time aiming them, but uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. That's cool. Yeah. How about you? What have you been playing? You know... <laughs> I actually have not picked up Red Dead since I last played it. Bad, bad, I'm bad. on chapter two, but... That's where I'm at. Yeah, at yeah. Horseshoe Ridge? Yes. That's where the camp is? Yes. Um, I've actually been playing a lot of Overwatch with Steven, because we're just kind of rocking through it and trying to figure out like what our strengths are. And um, <laughs> Being stuck in silver sucks. 
Like you get it's just hard to like progress when you're in silver, gritting my teeth at every match. <laughs> Steven are, and I we're just pulling out our hair at this point. Mm. <laughs> like why? Boo. Um. So that's what I've been playing. So nice. nothing new. Um. I have a little bit for the Vinyl Frontier. Just a little bit. Yes. Um, the Vinyl Frontier. There we go. Uh. So um. On Day of the Dead on uh, November first. Um, IM8 Bit announced the soundtrack to Grim Fandango for the 20th anniversary of the game. Oh my god, I haven't heard that name in forever. It's so good. <laughs> and they're also doing a physical version of the actual game itself oh, for PS4. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I grabbed that, which I'm very excited about. Um, and that's all I really got on that one. Is there anything for a graphic jam, um, or should we well, keep driving? We have Patrick's book that we just talked about. Yes. So that he's our. Yeah, he's my graphic jam. Were there any chapters that you read that you thought were uh, especially um, interesting? I really liked the chapter on um, The King's Bounty, which was a game that was a predecessor to Heroes of Might and Magic, which was one of my favorite games growing up. Travis and I used to always play, and the reason it's so good is because you have your own kingdoms, so you're kind of, you're against your opponent, which Travis was my opponent, and you have a main hero, but that hero builds up an army, and then that army builds up a kingdom. And every time you lose like part of your army, it's like losing a part of your character, and you kind of get really... um. Your main character is basically you, and you feel like, oh, shit, I want to win, because this is me. So um, we really loved um, Heroes of Might and Magic, so it was really interesting to read the chapter on King's Bounty. And if and nobody's played it, it's like a turn-based RPG with strategy. And um, yeah, you just kind of look around the map, you traverse the map, and then you run into characters, and you have to fight them with your little army. Nice. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, the first thing I went to was uh, Gabriel Knight, which was interesting for me just because I, I, I thought... I always thought those were interesting games and that they kind of took an approach to adventure games unlike other ones, um, which kind of just makes sense hearing Jane Jensen's sort of uh, approach. Um, the other one, though, what I thought was really interesting was um, the Doom for the Game Boy Advance. Oh, yeah. Um, just because I remember actually, I think, reading reviews saying, like, wow, this is a surprisingly competent port, but, like, do we need Doom on another machine? And it just sort of talks about how commerce kind of dictated and, or, like, meddling with, from the initial programmers of the Jaguar port kind of like gummed up the works a little bit and just potentially how it was mismanaged by the publisher side. And also, was it just the wrong time? Like it's, it's a really interesting uh, path to release um, just for a, a game that I think a lot of people didn't even realize existed. Cause like I remember reading stuff about like the doom port on 3DO and how you had to shrink down the screen to the size of a postage stamp to have it even somewhat playable. And even then it was bad. Yeah. And like it blew my mind that like a home console version of a game could not run well like because that was before i ever even thought that was a possibility you know if it was on a console that's just how it was meant to be seen mm -hmm. um and so it was interesting to me like you know when doom had to be kind of worked over so many ways to come out on every platform imaginable yeah and then there was also another chapter on i don't know rob you told me already that you've never played this game but mutant league Mutant League Football. Well, I remember like the box art, but I don't remember yeah. anything else about it. But you basically have your hero mutants, like your your all star players, and they're the ones you want to keep alive because you can kill other players on the team. So if you lose your all star player, you're pretty much going to lose the match. So you want to keep your team alive, plus also make goals and or um, touchdowns. Touchdowns. Thank you. Wow. Well, it's like it, it sounds a lot like I played the game Base Wars a lot. 
which is uh, giant like life-size or human-size robots playing baseball. Oh, yeah. And if there's ever a fight over a base or whatever, you literally just fight each other. Yeah. So. So, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's a mishmash of like, yeah, a fighting game and also a, yeah, a sports game. It's It was really fun. And it was only on Sega Genesis, so yeah. that's probably why a lot of people didn't have it, because Sega was... I don't know. Well, I didn't know many people with Sega. They all had Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo definitely kind of ruled the rose. I had a Genesis, but um, my next-door neighbor and a lot of my friends had Super Nintendos. Yeah. And then I got my Super Nintendo very late in the life cycle. Just at the very end, I was like, you know what? I know it's a good system, and I actually know which games I want for it now. So I kind of got it and got like seven games, and that was kind of the end uh, on that one for me. Yeah. A little bit of news. Um, so you mentioned Castlevania Season 2. Did you hear it got renewed for a third season? No, I'm so excited. Yeah, so um, Netflix has announced that Castlevania Animated Series will return for a third season. Um, Very cool. Yeah, I don't think there's a uh, date yet, but um, at least we know it's coming. Because, yeah, Netflix has been canceling some shows lately. Well, they definitely set it up to have another sequel or another season. So, yeah, that's exciting. I mean, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens because of the way, I'm not going to say what happens, but the way the last one ends, it leaves a lot open to your imagination and what's really going to happen in a third season. Nice. So, um, cool. Also, BlizzCon happened. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. Yeah. And they announced the new Overwatch characters. Hero. Hero, yes. Hero number 29. Really? 29. How many do you think they'll have before they're like, okay, we have enough heroes? A billion? The world could always use more heroes, Satine. Oh, my God. Okay, Tracer. Did, um, how many heroes does League of Legends have? Oh, League of Legends has, uh, I think, over 200. Shut the F up. And they're not called heroes. They're called champions. Oh, my God. Do you think we'll have over 200 heroes? I don't think so, just because, uh, like, I don't know. I mean, that game just operates in such a different sort of thing with it being a MOBA. Yeah. Um... Yeah, like, it's, there are, oh, no, sorry, I was wrong. There are 137 champions in League of Legends. Damn, that's crazy to me. I thought there was, like, 40. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, nuts. wait, no, that's from a year ago. Like, there's there's probably more. There's a billion. It's like um, my pet, mo- no, remember those pocket monsters? That's Pokemon. No, 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 not Pokemon. Well, that's what Pokemon got their name from, pocket monsters. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know that. It's cool. Well, yeah. <laughs> so that's what it reminds me of. Lots of pocket monsters. It looks like there are currently 141 champions in League of Legends as of August 21st, 2018. Jeez. That's yeah. too many. They have a lot of champions. Um, that's their number one moneymaker, so that's why. So, Let's keep dishing them out. So talk more about Ash. Ash is a, well, she is a kind of like a new sniper character with a long range shotgun. And she is an acquaintance of McCree's. They have a backstory. There's a CG short that they released in which she was introduced. And in this short, McCree looks fucking hot. And he has amazing teeth, by the way. And I don't think I realized that before. Right, he does. And they're super white because he probably doesn't drink coffee, even though he's drinking coffee in the short. Hmm. But he must bleach them like every 10 yeah, seconds. Seriously, he's definitely taking care of himself. Yeah. But anyway, it does tell a, or hint to a past relationship between McCree and Ash. There's some tension there. So there's definitely some sexual tension happening, which is super sexy. And I cannot wait because maybe Tracer will leave her girlfriend for Ash. Mm. That'll be the next tour, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and Ash or Moira. Is... Oh, what? Moira needs a hoo-hoo. 
<laughs> and as we uh, talked before, uh, her ultimate is a giant robot henchman who shows up who's very dapper. Or her giant sex robot. I'm I sure. Like yeah, I'm sure she's using him in every way she can. Yes, he's very versatile. Yeah, she seems like a resourceful woman. I think so too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, and the last little bit of news I have is um, we finally know what the PlayStation Plus games of the month are. Oh, yeah, go for it. Um, they are. Bulletstorm, full clip edition for the PS4. Yakuza Kiwami for the PS4. Uh, so that's the remake of the first uh, Yakuza or Yakuza game, however you want to say it. Don't at me. Um, on PS3, uh, you get the Arquito series and Jackbox Party Pack 2. If you're still rocking the PS3, you should definitely get that. I'm I'm kind of curious if that's one of those games that ends up being cross-play. That's pretty dope. Where like, if you buy it on PS3, you have it on PS4. I hope that's the case because seriously, that game is amazing. And Party Pack 2, which one is that? That was the one that introduces uh, Quiplash. Oh, I love Quiplash. Yeah, it's a good yeah. one. But Party Pack 3 is the one that has Trivia Murder Party. That's my favorite. <laughs> you know what I was going to say. Oh, I knew say. you were going. Um, and then uh, for the Vita, you get Burly Men at Sea, which that sounds fun. I mean, that sounds like a good time. And that one's cross-play with PS4. So if you get it, you can play it on your PS4. Oh. And then also Roundabout, which is the same sort of thing where it's Vita, but it's cross-play with PS4. So I'm guessing since those other ones don't list as being cross-play, they probably aren't. But um, but yeah, you can get your Burly Men at Sea. I want that. Burly Seaman. Oh, sounds prickly. Oh, God. Todd sent me a, a video text that's playing automatically. Oh, God. I think it won't should, stop. I think you should put it on the mic. It was him doing uh <laughs> it was him doing a Mr. Bubs uh homage while holding a cat. Very cute. Yeah. Well Anywho. You can follow me at Satine the Dream on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And where can they find you on Twitch? And they can find me on Twitch at Satine. And you can follow me on Twitter at Fast Danger or at Mr. Gladstone on Instagram and Twitch. And you can follow the podcast at BitDiffPodcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Or you can email us at BitDiffPodcast at gmail.com. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And would you kindly follow, rate, and comment in iTunes and Google Play. And also uh, just uh, hit that Spotify uh, subscribe button while you're at it. You better click it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Thank you and ciao. Bye-bye. Oh,